Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104 Six and One podcast. I wanted to quickly apologize and give a quick explanation as to the delay of last week's episode. So I did a culmination slash collaboration with the Homefield podcast and Kyle DeBrow, and it seemed that the file that Kyle had sent over, for whatever reason, would not upload into Anchor or any of the system or platforms that I attempted to. So Kyle had to resend it, and it was a bunch of technical issues and whatnot. So I am a week late. Um, I'm posting it now as we speak. And again, it is a week behind. So as of today, we know that Giannis Antetokounmpo did sign the five-year, $226 million, $228 million contract. I know we get into that towards the end of the episode. But again, I just wanted to give clarity that this is a week old. And this was recorded last week. And I was unable to post it due to some issues that we're having, whether that be on my laptop, whether that be from the Zoom audio file that Kyle sent over. It makes no difference. But I hope you guys enjoy it's on YouTube. You can check it out at the Homefield Podcast. Like and subscribe to Kyle's page. You can follow Kyle on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you haven't already done it, please go on and follow us on Instagram at 1046and1podcast. I really appreciate you guys and I'll uh, be talking to you again soon. All right, you guys. So this video is going to be a little bit different. So we're going to do a collaboration between my podcast, which is the Homefield Podcast, and Kevin Valentin's. 104.6.1 podcast and today what we're going to do is we're going to tackle the drama that's been going on between the Houston Rockets and James Harden but before we dive into that let's introduce Kevin Valentin what's going on let's go what's going on brother how you doing man thanks for having me on no oh, yeah for sure I mean this is a collab so you know more than likely I'm going to put this up on YouTube I might put it up on Anchor it kind of depends on how it goes and I imagine you're going to do the same right yeah, absolutely. This is uh, the first of many collaborations going forward. We, you know, between the two of us both talking about it today randomly and then both of us coming up with the idea, I said, you know what, we might as well just make it a collaboration. It makes the most sense. We're going to post the same thing anyway. For sure, man. It's going to be fun. But um, absolutely. Like I said in the intro, obviously we've had some really some rumblings have been going on in the NBA, particularly with James Harden and the Houston Rockets. As of the reports right now, it seems that James Harden wants to leave Houston to go to Philly. As I see right now, I don't see Houston really pulling the trigger on that. But overall, what is your what is your sense of where this drama stands between James Harden and Houston? So I'm going to be really blunt and say that right off the bat, this is all on James. Um, James got the keys to the kingdom the second he left Oklahoma. He knew very well from the very beginning that he was going to be the focal point in Houston. He knew this was his team, his organization. And up until this point, he's gotten pretty much everything he's asked for. He asked for shooters. He asked for a coach that kind of made the system around him. He asked for players like CP3, Russell Westbrook. Now he asked for the trade for John Wall. And he's kind of doing what superstars do, and that's throw a tantrum. And he is doing it in a way that has 
definitely rubbed me the wrong way as a basketball fan. And uh, I have never liked James Harden's playing style overall. I mean, we have both talked about it multiple times over the course of his career and our friendship. But uh, now seeing the business side of him and how he's reacting, where, you know, many camps and camps have pretty much all reported. And James is out there partying in clubs in Vegas, hanging out with little baby in Atlanta, uh, pretty much just ducking all the Rockets calls. James has now escalated to pretty much a complete diva on and off the court. It's just, it's completely frustrating as a fan to watch and see him handle it the way he's been doing it. I'm with you. This is really petty on James here. I Listen, you know, with the, with James, I'm assuming he's of the mindset that he's trying to win a championship. I mean, at this point, I don't really think that money's that big of a concern anymore because Houston just offered him like a two year deal worth like $105 million. So he'd be making over $50 million a year. And I don't even think he has even really entertained that because I didn't see him sign for it. I don't even think he's, I didn't even hear any news that he was even willing to agree to that deal. Nope. And all I've heard really from this point is that, well, first he wanted to go to Brooklyn. He wanted Houston to set up some sort of trade with Brooklyn so that he could play with uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, which there's no way that that was even going to be remotely possible to happening because the only way that that trade would ever be agreed to is that Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving would have to be, would have to be a part of that trade. There's just no way that they're going to send James Harden and not get a superstar in return. It's, it, there's just no way that the front office would ever agree to a, a trade like that. And then with all these reports saying that he wants to go to Philly, it would be the same thing. Houston would have to get either Ben Simmons or um, Joel Embiid, and more than likely, Houston would probably ask for both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in that trade because you're trading arguably a top five, a solid top ten player in the league, and there's just no way that I would see Philadelphia ever making that type of trade if it includes Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid potentially to go to Houston, and I don't even think they're willing to move either or at this point for James Harden, so I know Daryl Morey, he's the new um, he's the new CEO or he's the leader of basketball operations in Philadelphia now instead of Houston. But I think what James Harden is doing is just an absolute disservice to Houston. I mean, if I were Houston, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily trade him to Philly, but I'd be trying to facilitate. There's either two options with Houston. They either keep him, they like force him to come back, or they trade him somewhere, but not to Philly. Because I, I, I mean, I couldn't at, agree more. At this point, is Houston really even worth? Is is James really even worth keeping at this point? If you're Houston, because of the nightmare and the migraines that he's caused, at this point, I don't know. It's really there's really only two options I see with James at this point. Either he comes back to Houston, or he gets traded. But it's not to Philly. There's no way that they're 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 going to be able to make out a trade where he goes to Philly. And yet Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons still stay there. I just, I don't see that happening. It, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd send James to like Cleveland or something. Just, I would just freaking exile him to some scrub team as like a penalty or like punishment for all this BS and all this pettiness that he's brought up. I mean, so from watching, what was it this morning? I believe it was first take with Stephen A. and Max Kellerman. Uh, Stephen A. made a point of teams are hesitant to trade for James if James isn't willing to sign an extension. Yes, there's two years remaining on his contract, 
but I don't know if a team that especially isn't contending is willing to give up a boatload for him to know that he's going to leave in the off season or leave via however he wants. I don't know, another trade free agency, whatever. And they're not going to get anything in return. And I wouldn't rule Philly out because of Houston's former GM in Daryl Moore being over there. What's it? Daryl. What was his name? Daryl Moore. Yeah. Daryl Moore. There's no shot that, he lets James kind of off the hook. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the man that made the magic happen to get all of those players that James wanted to come over. And I'm pretty sure that they're going to be in talks for the next couple of weeks. Uh, James has reportedly finally spoken to his head coach, my former assistant coach in uh, Salas. But at the end of the day, you're hundred percent right. He is just dragging this out. He's making this all about him. And it just coincides with everything I've been saying over the years. It's, it's always been about James Harden, but here's, here's, here's my final, well, not final. Cause we're going to be talking about this for a little bit, but I mean, like, here's one of my biggest points. Everyone said that Houston was poised for a championship run. Houston had the weapons. Houston had the coach. Houston had the system, but players have been coming and going in James Harden's entire tenure of being in Houston. Clint Capella became a star, got traded. They went and acquired CP3, got traded. They wanted he wanted Russell Westbrook, his boy, his 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 running mate. They said that this was going to be a historic year. Got traded. You asked for John Wall two weeks ago. They got John Wall. Now you want to leave? He's literally throwing an absolute tantrum. I'm pretty sure he wasn't involved in the selection of the coach. I'm pretty sure he wasn't involved in the selection of a GM. And the roster moves that they made this offseason, which was getting rid of Covington, getting rid of Brody, uh, acquiring Boogie Cousins. I'm pretty sure overall, he was kind of like, other than the John Wall trade, he was just like, this doesn't seem like a team I want to be on, so I'm going to throw a tantrum and leave. You have to understand, James, the contract that you have, teams aren't going to absorb it unless they get a full-on investment of, I want to stay. Mm-hmm. And an exile move is a very 80s slash 90s move to like kind of like ruin two or three years of his career and say, you know what, screw you. We're going to get something out of you this, and you're going to be stuck on a team that's not going to compete. But nowadays, on the business side of it, I don't think anybody wants to absorb that much cap. I mean, look at, look at what uh, Cleveland's doing to Andre Drummond. They're absorbing that however many millions of dollars is left on that contract, and we all know they're not winning. So, oh, I was, I was just, oh, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but mm-hmm. I was just saying as overall, like I don't know if a team is going to be willing to take a, a, a head case nonetheless and an expensive head case at that. James, James is just being ridiculous and outlandish. I think, again, going back to that Stephen A point that I made, um, Stephen A said something about uh, going Ben Simmons for James Harden straight up. And he said that makes sense to a certain extent for Houston. But on the Philly side with Doc Rivers over there and Doc Rivers coaching philosophy, Doc has never had a selfish player. Doc has never had a player that has been all about him, 20-second isolation. Doc is a very systematic coach. So Mm -hmm. him being in Philly with either Embiid or with Ben, I don't think it would work. James being 32, James not playing defense, which Doc has definitely focused on on all of his coaching tenure, and James kind of being the head case that he has been. I don't think it's a fit. The only reason it would happen would be because of Daryl Moore making it happen. And if they go and send Ben Simmons to the Rockets, I think the Rockets immediately jump up to a a Western semi-Western Conference Finals favorite because Ben Simmons makes that team better because Ben Simmons focus inside out versus Harden focusing outside in. 
I mean, I look at it like this. Like, if Harden were to stay in Houston, I mean, look, their starting five would basically consist of James Harden, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, and Eric Gordon. That's not a bad lineup. Now, do I think that it's going to compete for a West, for a Western Conference like finals appearance? No. But do I think that they're going to end up in the bottom of the West? No. They're probably going to be a middle-of-the-pack team now that they added John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins to the roster. So if I understand like where, where James's mindset is on wanting to compete for a championship, I don't think it's really I don't think it's gonna be any better whether he's on Philly or Houston at this point, just because the way that James Harden plays the game of basketball as it currently is right now, as he currently does now. It, it's it's not going to work out because he's a ball dominant player and he's, I mean, the last two seasons he's averaging, like th- he averaged thirty six points in two thousand eighteen and he just averaged about thirty four and a half this past season with him jacking up probably twenty five to thirty shots a game. So his style of play I don't think is indicative of an NBA uh, champion at this point. He would have to really kind of scale back his game, or, or at least. really kind of reinvent his game to a point where it's more accommodating to the rest of the team instead of just himself. And I think at this point, I think it's on him to make that change. And I think just forcing his way out of Houston to get what he wants, I don't think it's going to make anything better. And if he goes to Philly, they're not going to win a title. I don't think if you add James Harden to the the 76ers that they're instantly a title contender. They're not and even going to compete I, with Brooklyn in the West. Miami, Giannis, and Milwaukee, they're, they're, yeah, like, they're, they're, they're a middle-of-the-pack team in the East, too. Like, I'm not even wasting my time with that one. Yeah, it's just, like, the way that I currently see it is at least give Houston a chance this year. And they have a new head coach. I know uh, Mike D'Antoni is no longer the coach there. So, I mean, at least give the new coach a chance to at least have a chance to buy into – what they may bring to the table this year. But I mean, James Harden's not doing himself any favors at this point. I mean, Houston gave, like I said, Houston gave him a $50 million a year extension and he turned that down, forcing a trade to go to Brooklyn. And now he's doubling down on it to go to Philly. He's not helping himself in any way, shape or form. And if he thinks he's getting a title out of this, I don't know who's telling him that, but it's not going to happen. But who said it? Who said it? Not this year. And, you can make a case that he's probably not going to win a title in his career if he's going to act like this. He won't. But who said it? Kobe and T-Max said it a year, a year and a half ago. The way they run that system is never going to work, ever. Nope. In terms of competing in depth in the postseason, their shot at going to the NBA Finals was the year that Chris Paul got hurt. Everybody knows that. Everybody yep. in the world knows that was their one chance. And would they have beaten – who was the team? Was it the Raptors? I don't even remember who came – no, the Cavs? That year, I think it was the Cavs because Golden State went – that series against Golden State went seven games, right? Yeah, that was the seven-game series where CP3 got hurt with his calf or hamstring or something. That was the game seven where Houston went like 0 of 28 for their first 28 threes, right? There they was could- no shot Braun was losing that. There was 0% chance Braun loses that because Braun's going to match up on Harden and then Braun's going to go for 50. Yeah. No one on that team was going to be able to guard him. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Like James, James is crazy. We've talked about this on multiple segments, multiple personal conversations. You cannot play efficient NBA playoff basketball 
by isolating yourself every possession and then mm-hmm. running a system that which not only runs through you but doesn't run without you and then throwing up like you said 25 to 30 shots a game and 12 of those shots are threes yes you lead the league in free throw attempts we understand that not that i agree with how he does it but he does it and it's effective but you have to play team basketball Sure, yeah. you're averaging triple doubles at a, in a certain frame of the season because everyone's collapsing on you and your teammates are making some shots. Sure, you you converted yourself to a point guard to a certain extent because you have the ball the entire time. What's the point of having a traditional point guard? Look at what Dallas is doing. Luka Doncic is a six eight small forward playing point guard because he has the ball in his hands. However, he's averaging twenty five seven and eight because he's facilitating and playing and, and making the team better. James is only averaging that because he's forcing out a pass. Well, I got five people on me. Someone's got to hit. It's a whole different system. And I don't think the South is going to want to run that system based off of how he's been coaching with Rick Carlisle for the past couple of years. I mean, at this point, the way that I look at like, like James Harden, the only time like I could really think back to where a player where he shoots it this much, like his shooting volume is this high and he's scoring at the rate that he's scoring at was when Kobe was on the Lakers after Shaq left. The only problem is when Kobe was playing with the Lakers outside of Lamar Odom, the rest of the team, for, the rest of the team were a bunch of scrubs. They couldn't Absolute trash. It's like people will always say, well, Kobe never passed the ball. Kobe never had the ball, never passed, couldn't really pass the ball to anybody because outside of, I mean, he had Smush Parker. He had – who else was on that team? He like, had the like, GOAT Kwame Brown. Don't you ever he, disrespect him ever again. He, he, had, he had Stanislav Medvedenko, for God's sakes. Like, these guys are scrubs. Like, those guys were scrubs back in the day. James Harden did not have scrubs. James Harden had Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook last year. He's had Eric Gordon for most of the stretch that he's been with Houston. Now he's got Boogie Cousins. He, like you said, he had Clint Capella. These guys could actually play. These guys, I mean, hell, Chris Paul is a perennial all-star since he's Future been a Hall of Famer. Like, and like in that one year, they almost made it work. But with the way that Harden currently plays the game, it's just not going to work. It didn't work last year because they got smoked by the Lakers in five games. And I think if they, I mean, if he stays with Houston this year, I think it's going to kind of be a similar outcome. I I just, I, the outcome to me, it doesn't matter where James Harden plays. If he does not change his style, he's going to end up getting bounced out in the first or second round every year until he retires. He has to make the adjustment to his game to make it more compatible with how the NBA is currently played because the way that he's doing it, you can't play hero ball and win a title this way. It doesn't work like that. The only time where it got close to that was when, I saw LeBron basically average like 36 points after Kyrie broke his leg in that first uh, finals matchups with the Cavs and the Warriors. And they got it. To, he got it to six games, but you're not going to win a title that way. It's, it's just not going to happen. And the way that Harden currently plays the game, this is not indicative of a title contending team, the way that he currently plays it. So here's my thing. I'm going to ask you, why do you think all three players were point guards? Why do you think, James Harden brought point guards knowing his style was ball dominant. Why, why, why do you think? I mean, to be honest, I couldn't tell you. The way that I've always seen it is 
even when Chris Paul was on the team, Chris Paul was, I mean, I guess you could say he was like the primary ball handler, but the way that they ran their offense is a little bit different than what it is now. Like with, with Russell and him last year, it, I mean, they kind of split it, but I, the way that I remember it, I, you could fact check me on this. I always kind of remember James Harden bringing up the ball. Maybe it was Russell, like if they were on the court at the same time, but it, it, it seems like to me that even when you have somebody like Chris Paul out there, he should be the primary ball handler and James Harden has to accommodate for that and make sure that he is, he sets himself up in a good position so that when Chris ball like kicks it out to him, that he's in a good position to make shots, but Harden doesn't do that as far as I'm concerned. So I know I asked you prior to the show, let's pull up CP three's numbers. You have it on your screen. Um, let me get the stat line for CP3's last season in Houston. Sure. Okay. He, what's he average? He averaged 32 minutes a game. Let me see. He averaged, okay, he averaged 15 points per, 15 and a half points per game. He averaged about eight assists. And how many rebounds did he get? He averaged about four and a half rebounds a game. So now let, let, let me get his last numbers as a clipper. The very last one. As right a clipper? Before he got traded. Yeah. As a clipper, that what year was that? That was like 2016, 2017? Yeah. 2016, 2017. He averaged 18 points. He averaged nine assists. And he averaged five rebounds. Okay, so not much of a decline in Houston, right? But there was at least statistically some form of a decline. So here's my method behind it, right? When the initial trade happened back in the year that Chris Paul came over, which should have been 27, 2017, 20. 28. Yep. Okay, yep. so my thing was James is like, yo, I can't do this by myself. I can't continue to bring this ball up. I got to figure out a way to score, but score efficiently. I thought James was trying to grow up because we all saw James being a prolific scorer on his own isolation. I said, maybe he's finally starting to understand that he needs a true point guard to not only set him up, but to play off of this point guard. And then when it happened, Chris Paul wasn't producing offensively. Chris Paul was a little on the older side, aside from the defensive intensity side, he was like, well, maybe this isn't, maybe I need to kind of continue to do this. And then the same thing happened with Russell. We know Russell is 100% ball dominant. Russell was always the offensive option in Oklahoma uh, right after Kevin left. But he figured maybe maybe two prolific scorers can be on the same team. Maybe, like, I could be hot and then Russell could be hot. Um, and we'll get into Russell's numbers shortly. But it's the point of James has been on his own so long. I don't think James knows how to not be ball dominant. We all know that the great players of the NBA are able to play off the ball, a.k.a. Ron was able to play off of Kyrie. Ron was able to play off of Wade. Michael was able to play off of Scotty. Kobe was able to play off of Shaq and Powell. So it's like James can't really understand. Again, this is all my opinion, that in order to win, there has to be times where you don't score. There have to be times when you aren't shooting the ball. You have to play with the team. James can't do that. And for that exact point, James will never be successful. I think because like I'm looking at Chris Paul's stats right here, and 
I mean, the first year that he was in Houston, he averaged 18, 8, and 8 and 5. And then the, the next year after that, he averaged 15, 8, and 4. So, I mean, this is basically kind of consistent with his scoring averages because really, like, if you look at, like, the years he was with the Clippers, he was only averaging about 19 points a game. So I mean, he's only a one score. We know that. Yeah, he's he's always been a facilitator. Your prototypical, your prototypical point guard. Now with with Russell, Russell is is a completely different type of point guard from Chris Paul. Like Russell has always been big into scoring and getting triple doubles. Yep. Like when you when you look at, I mean, when you look at like his point per game averages, like he averaged with Houston, he averaged. 27, 7, and 8. So the usual numbers. Yeah. I mean, you can go back to, to OKC, like OKC, they were they kind of fluctuated where he was averaging somewhere like in between 25 to 30 points in you know, more or less in some years compared to others. But like when you look at his assist totals when he was with OKC, he was averaging around he averaged 10 assists a game for four straight years, the last 40 years he was with OKC. Obviously took kind of a, a hit when he moved to Houston. And I just think that, I think in large part, the way that D'Antoni ran that system probably led to how Westbrook was playing last year with Houston. But like I kind of said at the earlier part of this, uh, when we first started talking, you you have to kind of give the new head coach a chance because obviously I think the offensive system that they're going to run with Houston now is going to be completely different than what it was with D'Antoni when he was running the show for the years he was there. So I think it's really incumbent on James at this point to at least see how this new system is going to work. Are they going to integrate Harden a little bit differently than in years past? Yeah, maybe because when D'Antoni's this, the main guy running the system there, or he's the one that's setting the system there. I mean, they're going to push the ball as quickly as they can and jack up as many threes as possible, just because that's the way that D'Antoni's run the system. So James Harden's numbers are kind of indicative of that because he's the primary ball handler for the most part in that system. Now that you have John Wall with a completely different coach, it may be different in that regard, just because, it may not be this run and gun type offense and it's so predominant on shooting threes where it's very analytic driven. I think that could be the difference here with a new head coach compared to D'Antoni. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Um, My thing is, so the last two point guards, which would be the Russell Westbrook and currently John Wall have one thing in common. They are fast paced transition based players. Russell likes to get out on the break. Russell either facilitates or finishes strong at the rim. John Wall has always been a transition, flashy layup, dunk on someone left-handed, make a move. So a younger head coach, a, a another fast-paced point guard, but he's injury-prone. So we don't know how that's going to exactly mesh. We don't know if John's going to stay healthy. Both their contracts are the two highest-paid combined contract totals in the NBA. The two of them combined are being paid more than Kyrie and Kevin Durant. They're being paid more than AD and LeBron, and then one more one more duo. I can't remember which one it is. But the fact that those two players 
getting paid more than a defending duo champion and freaking oh and uh and more than uh uh what's his name pg and uh Kawhi leonard yeah if they're getting paid more than those two and one's been sitting at home rehabbing for two years there's a there's a problem there's there's definitely an issue and overcompensation and overconfident yo i need this player to stay here i'm gonna give him whatever it is that he needs john wall right then and right now he's got more to prove than anybody else on that team john wall's got a yo Y'all paying me this much money. I've been out this long. I'm playing with a better version of Bradley Beal, which he's not. I heard somebody say that today, and it's ridiculous. Bradley Beal plays both ends, and Bradley Beal plays efficiently and team basketball. I mean, look at the roster that the Wizards had last year, and Bradley Beal put up some phenomenal numbers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. So, so for people to go out there and say that he's a better version or a better scoring version, all right, he scores a little bit better, but Bradley does it on both ends and Bradley does it in multiple facets. So that argument or that discussion or topic that is immediately removed. So I'm just trying to figure out with the new personnel on the team, not only from the coaching staff, but player wise, how is that going to mesh as a whole? And how is this organization going to move forward? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's like at, at this point, here's the thing, though. I can't really bank on two things. There's two things that I can't bank on. I can't bank on John on John Wall's health on John Wall's health because John Wall is going to be. I mean, look, he's been out of I mean, just looking at the last couple of years that he's played in the league. He's missed. A, he's missed a total of like half the season in the last two games that he's played in the last two se- seasons that he's played in. The last healthy season that he played in was in 2013, which was seven years ago. So you can't rely on him at this point anymore as far as his health is. Now, his ability, I, I can totally rely on. But it's his availability that's always been an issue. I just think that looking at the way that Houston has this set up right now, let me ask you this, just to kind of wrap this up. Where do you see Houston going with this roster if Harden ends up staying? Um, and it's another point to why I think they're going to struggle is because Russell was not a shooter at all. John Wall is not a shooter either. And they do not have a big man presence on the inside other than DeMarcus Cousins. So if they have to rely on shooters, which they got rid of Covington and they got rid of, uh, who was that other, they had another sniper on that squad. Oh, oh I know. But, um, well, they got Trevor Reza back. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> regardless the system has changed the coaching staff has changed james harden is still a prolific scorer a top five player in the nba in terms of offense so i would say that they're five or six depending on how well they mesh and how well the coaching staff kind of meshes with the organization if he leaves depending on who they trade him for whether that's ben whether that's joel i think that the team will probably be better without him if i'm being honest because they're never going to win with him and i think the combination of john wall maybe ben simmons boogie and the supporting cast i think that would be a fire combination to be honest with you i mean i think if he stays they're a middle of the pack team in the west if he leaves um they might make the playoffs it'll be kind of a stretch i'd have to see how john wall gets through the season if he gets through the season healthy great if he doesn't, I think that's going to have a negative impact on the team. That's probably going to result in them not making the playoffs. But 
as far as Harden goes, I think his best option at this point is just stay in Houston because I, I, he's not going to get what he wants. If he thinks that he's going to contend with a title on Philly and Houston, I mean, Philly would have to be an absolute idiot to, tr- to trade Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons back for him. It's it's just not going to happen at this point. They're going to get one. They're going to get one. I think I think he gets traded, and and I I think they're going to get one of them. You'd have to. I mean, what they had to trade Ben though. Yeah, I I think because of Ben's inability to shoot, Ben's inability to produce in crunch time, I think that they're going to want to kind of move away. They'll do the six six point guard of James Harden pick and roll with uh, Joel Embiid. And the uh, the shooting stroke of Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Seth Curry. So he's got some form of shooters. He's got an interior post presence with Joel and Dwight Howard. Uh, kind of a different makeup over there. But uh, I think that, once again, I don't think they'll do anything special in Philly or win. But I think with Houston's former GM being over there, I think, uh, I think they kind of find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and, and we'll see. So, obviously – you know, it's a very fluid situation with Houston and, and Harden right now. So we'll definitely see how, how it ends up going over the next, I would imagine, the next week or so. So we'll definitely yeah. keep an eye on that. But is there um is there anything else you wanted to, to discuss before we decide to uh, wrap this up for the day? Yeah, just really quick. I actually wanted to get your opinion on the Giannis situation. So I know that earlier today there were reports that people were asking Giannis about the contract conversation since they did start training camp. And Giannis's answer was a a little less than convincing in terms of him resigning or him leaving. He kind of defaulted it back to it being a, uh, you know, I'm focused on basketball right now, blah, blah, blah. If, you know, if we need any, or if we have any other questions, please refer them to my agent. Uh, We're talking, we are two weeks away from today from the NBA season starting. Mm-hmm. All max contract players have re-signed their max contracts. Giannis, being the most important piece of this free agency, has still not signed his throughout the entire offseason that, that the NBA has gone through. And all max players have, like I said, re-signed to their respective teams. Would you say, in your opinion, that the Dallas Mavericks and or Golden State Warriors have emerged as potential landing spots for Giannis either this season or next with the re-signing of Anthony Davis of the Lakers and the re-signing of Bam Adebayo to the Heat? Could be. I think it largely depends on what happens this season with the Bucs. I think if the Bucs end up playing well this year, I think if they make it to the finals, which is no easy feat, um, I think that there's a good chance that he stays. If he, if the Bucs win the finals this year, I think he stays. I think, though, if if they get bounced out again in the Eastern conference finals, like they did against the Raptors a few years back, or if they get knocked out even earlier than that, like they did this year, I think there's a good, there's a very good chance that he ends up leaving Milwaukee. Um, I think he's right to say though, that he's not really focused on that right now. I just think that's probably like the smart PR thing to do, but I think for him, the main thing is just do the best that you can this season and if it doesn't work out, meaning that the Bucs don't win a championship this year, I think I think it's probably a good chance more than not that he leaves. Now, where he ends up going, I have no idea. He it would be it'd be very interesting to see him in the Western Conference. I I think going to a team like Dallas would be interesting. Now, I don't know how they would necessarily work out with the whole 
Chris Tapps and Giannis positioning part, that's something that Rick Carlisle would have to kind of figure out. But I know his name has definitely been floated with the Warriors. And I think if you add somebody like Giannis's caliber on the Warriors, I mean, you're talking about a dynasty run again with the Warriors. Because if you have Steph, Clay, if he's healthy, Draymond Green and Giannis on the same team. And Wiseman. And, and Wiseman, who they just drafted this year. Good luck trying to stop that. I, now, granted, we have to get through this year. I bet you play hypotheticals all you want. But yeah. I think um, I think it's largely dependent on this season. And I think – I remember I told you this maybe a couple hours ago. I think right now it's 50-50. I think it's 50-50 if he stays. I think it's 50-50 if he leaves. So, you know. But you're, you're, you're saying in your professional opinion slash personal opinion – it's not going to be till next season. Giannis isn't going to leave at any point in time this season, unless things go unless things go absolutely south south with the Bucks this year. Meaning they're like they're under five hundred, they can't win any games, or they're just struggling as a team. I doubt anything of significance happens this season. I think any Giannis news will be addressed after this season. I'd be Fair really enough. surprised. I'd be really surprised if if this matter with the Bucks gets figured out before the end of next year before the end of this season. So I don't really see him signing this long-term extension with the bucks right now. I think it's more of kind of wait and see with him at this point. Fair enough. And then my last question, two former ex James Harden teammates. I love how I put X in front of it. Like it's a relationship. What do you think the record of those ex teammates would be? What do you think Russell goes with the wizards? And what do you think Chris Paul is going to go with the Suns? I, mean, I think the Suns are going to be a playoff team. I think they're. I think they're going to make. I don't know what seed they're going to be. If I had to guess, like off the top of my head, they're going to be somewhere from like a six to eight seed, somewhere in that range. I don't know if they, they could be as good as a six, or they could be, you know, as low as an eight or out of the playoffs. That's how I kind of see them. I I think there's a ceiling to how far they can go, just because I think Devin Booker's still fairly young. He's still kind of coming into his own, but he is a lethal shooter when he gets hot absolutely lethal and then you pair that with chris paul and deandre and that's a it's a solid trio that you have moving forward there and then with russell westbrook with the wizards it's there they're gonna be i think at the the bottom end of the eastern conference at, at the the bottom end of the eastern conference this year i just don't see the wizards going anywhere this year if they make the you playoffs know. great i just don't i don't see it with the wizards this year i think it's going to be more the same um, maybe, maybe they squeak into the eight spot. I, I, that's probably the best that I give them. I, I just don't see them being a real threat in the Eastern conference in what way, in really any way whatsoever. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, uh, do you think they at least get the eight seed because Bradley Beal willed them into the bubble? And then obviously within a few days we knew that they weren't going to do anything in the bubble, but they still made it to the bubble, which is a lot better than most other Eastern Conference teams can say. Uh, with the addition of Russell Westbrook to that team, Bradley Beal kind of being the best or second best two-way player that Russell's ever played with, being the other being Paul George, you don't think that the two of them is enough to kind of not catapult, but push that team forward at least to an eight seed. They did re-sign that, uh, that sharpshooting uh, the guy with the, the like the ginger guy, the last name with a B, another European guy that shoots the lights out. Like his career is like over. 
yeah, he's like a career 40% three-point shooter. So I was just wondering if you thought that the, the addition of Russell would be enough to make them an eighth seed. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I'll ask you this. Can you name anybody out on that roster besides Bertans, Russell Westbrook, and Bradley Beal? Yes, I can. Uh, the rookie from Gonzaga, something Hachimura. He yeah. signed with Jordan. He's a stud. Okay. Anybody else? They just let go of Ian Mahini. Okay. Everybody Anybody else, else, I'm clueless. I th- wait, I think they got Mo Bogdan from Michigan. I think they have him like their third or second string center. I mean, just looking at what Google has here, they got Bradley Beal, the Hachimura small forward. They got what's, what's his first name? Kyle? It's Roy. It's no, R. It's, it's R. It's R. U. I. Rui. Rui Hachimura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Yeah, Rui is something. I, I'm he's nice, bro. Him. He's nice. He's a hooper, bro. I, I watched a couple of Wizards games this year. Don't ask me why. I just I wanted to see how the kid played out after he signed with Jordan. Bro, that kid's nice. They got Thomas Bryant. They got Cassius Winston. They have Robin Lopez. Really? Um, Ew, he went from Milwaukee to the whip. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I think that I think they still have Shabazz Napier. Shabazz yeah. hasn't been anything since UConn, so I'm not worried about him. Yeah, so I mean it's pretty- That's actually funny. The two point guards that got drafted for LeBron to keep LeBron on their respective teams. Obviously, Shabazz was drafted to keep him in Miami, and then Colin Sexton was drafted to keep him in Cleveland. Didn't end up working out, and both of them are kind of like eh, mediocre players, Colin Sexton being the better of the two. But still, I kind of find that funny. Yeah, yeah I, I, it's just, I mean, like I said, with the Wizards, um, what's his name? Who's the coach? I the Oklahoma Scotty, City. Uh, oh my God, Scotty Brooks. Scotty Brooks, yeah. Um, Scott Brooks, whatever they actually call him. I know Scotty yeah, was one of the nicknames. I mean, if, if this team makes it to the playoffs, this is an overachieving team. I'll give them that. But it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they miss the playoffs. It, I, I just don't see it. I, I, I'll tell you this though: I don't know how this whole Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook thing is going to work out because, I mean, maybe you could kind of see like what Russell Westbrook was able to do with OKC when he averaged like 10 and a half assists per game for like the last four seasons, he was with OKC, you know, maybe they, maybe they can work out the chemistry between the two of them there. But I think by and large, I think the Wizards are going to, are still going to struggle pretty mightily in the Eastern conference. And the Eastern conference is pretty nice this year. You got a bunch of teams, like you got Boston, you got Miami, you got Milwaukee, you got uh, the Nets. I mean, you got four really good teams. And then, obviously, we'll see what happens with Philly. Philly's just kind of just wait and see what happens. I'm, I'm not really too excited about them. Um, not really focused on Detroit right now. Detroit's not really anything special. Indiana, I don't think, is really anything special. Um the Hawks, the Hawks, you definitely have to keep an eye on too, just because now you got Trey Young there. Uh, the addition of Rondo, I think, is going to help them out pretty, pretty well. And they added, uh, they added uh, Bogdanovich too, right? Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Chris Dunn. Yeah, so they're going to have they're going to have a nice squad this year. I just don't see where the Wizards really get in that top eight. If they do, great. You know, that's more power to them. You know, they definitely deserve respect for that. But just as it stands right now. 
I'm just, I'm not there with it. I just think Russell Westbrook is just too in. If Russell Westbrook was more of an efficient shooter, I would say, okay, I, I like what I see with this move, but you know, I, I think Russell Westbrook is just too inefficient of a shooter. He's probably going to turn the ball, ball over probably five or six times a game, if not more. Might go after triple doubles this year. I mean, wouldn't be surprised if he tries to go after that again. But overall, with the Wizards, I just I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the uh, inefficiency to shoot part. However, I will disagree. I think that Bradley Beal is the second best teammate that he will ever play with that is not Kevin Durant. That's a bold statement. Here's why I'm going to follow up. Bradley Beal has played side-by-side with a ball-dominant point guard for the majority of his career in John Wall. He has now been a ball-dominant shooting guard, if not point guard for the most part since John Wall has been out, and he has increased his offensive performance. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say tremendously, but significantly because he had to be the only option. You can tell at certain times during certain games, Bradley was not up to the challenge because Bradley was like, this is exhausting. I'm sitting here running around the floor. I'm getting double teamed at at some points, getting tripled when he had a hot night. Now you add a perennial all-star, a true passing point guard at times in Russell Westbrook that John Wall was not. John Wall was a scoring first point guard. We all know that there are three different types of point guards. There are all around point guards, scoring point guards, and passing point guards. This will be the first all-around point guard that Bradley's going to have, and now he can go back to playing off the ball. And now you can't double Bradley because that's going to leave either A, that shooter that I just named wide open, that's going to leave Russell one-on-one in a pick-and-roll situation in which he's going to abuse and go to the free-throw line, or that's going to leave Bradley Beal himself one-on-one, which we all know Bradley Beal is offensively sound enough to go and dominate most matchups. I'm not saying they're going to be a top-six seed, but if Washington squeaked into an eight and or a seven, I would not be surprised because Russell's going to be able to do his thing. He's got a sharpshooter and a defender in Bradley Beal, and he's got an absolute sharpshooting and shooting specialist in that other guy that just resigned. For the God life of me, I can't remember his name, but that boy is shooting over 40% from the three-point line in his career, and he's nasty. Like, he's water. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel you on that. It's just that I don't know. I East just, is stacked. I'm not saying they're going to go and upset a one seed like a Milwaukee or anything like that, but I, I definitely would not put it past them to for sure make a push for an eighth or seven. Like, I definitely see them in – like, I have them in my top eight in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to put them in, I'd put them in at the eight. Agreed. If, if they make the seven, great. But I, I the only reason why I, I will kind of give them that is because – I think by and large, like the top five teams in the East are going to be pretty solid. And then after that, I think the last three or four teams that get in are pretty much going to be at a 500 record or below that. So, I mean, we'll definitely see. Um, I, I kind of have to see how they start off first. Just if, if the chemistry works out fine, I may, I may kind of like improve, like, they're standing in the Eastern conference, but if it, if it doesn't start out, start off well, and if it's just inconsistent and they're just not really in rhythm, then yeah, they probably, they probably won't make the playoffs. But were you saying that, that Bradley Beal is the second best player that Russell Westbrook has ever played with? Yes, I am. James Hart. No, no. So, 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 so if, if you record and rewind, I said, 
best two-way in terms of all-around player. James Harden okay. can go for 35 without Russell. Okay. James Harden can go for 40 without Russell. Mm-hmm. My point was, this is going to be his best two-way player aside from Paul George because Paul George had an MVP caliber season when partnered with Russell Westbrook. Okay. I and th- the numbers support that. I, I, I thought you were saying that um, that Bradley Beal was the second best player outside of Kevin Durant that, that Russell Westbrook has ever played with. But maybe I just misheard you. I mean, but, I, I could have misworded it. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm sitting here trying to if, if you're figure talking it about all two, out. If you're talking about two-way players, yeah, I, I feel you. Just because because Paul George is a solid defensive presence. and then He's averaged, he averaged like 27 points per game in OKC, and I think he came in fourth or fifth in the MVP voting that season. And that was yes. prior to him having the operations. I think he had one on the shoulder. Yeah, because it wasn't the last year that he was with OKC. It was the year that Damian Lillard hit like that forty foot. Uh, yeah, the the, the wave, the wave, go home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was nasty. Yeah, so, and honestly, I thought Paul George actually played good, played solid defense on that play. It's just nobody in any basketball format, nobody in any basketball camp, training, workout is going to teach you to pick up your guard at half court as consistently as you have to with. Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. There yeah. is that's he did everything he could be guarding him above the three point line because he does know he could pull. I'm not telling Paul George if I'm who was the coach at that point, Billy Donovan. Yo, go lock him up at half. There's no shot. I'm telling him that. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to be mad at the guy for hitting a 40 foot three pointer, and my guy is playing at least somewhat pretty solid defense against it. I mean, he contested the shot. It's really the best that you can do. He contested just, it at the end. There was a lot of space, but again, like re-encouraging from what I have seen, what I have played. I don't know a coach that isn't in the NBA that's going to teach me, yo, go get him at half. There, there's no, there's nobody. And not to mention, like, I, as a defender, I would say defense is probably one of my better suits at basketball. I'm not a professional. I didn't play in college or anything like that. But – I'm confident you're going to dribble at least towards me that my 6'10 length is going to be able to recover here. This man, Damien, took two steps forward and a sidestep and made a 40-foot jump shot. Poor George did the best that he could because if you overcompensate, Damian Lillard still has one of the quickest first steps in basketball. He blows right around you. Yeah. And that's why I think Paul George was kind of like keeping in mind because it's like if he overplays his hand defensively, then really just Damian Lillard could start driving and then he could just do a step back and then it's game over. Exactly. Leverage. So, I mean, before you know it, it Damian's it, got three, four feet of space. I mean, you're playing, you're basically like, like if you're playing like defensive odds at that point, I'd, I'd rather him hit a 40 foot three pointer on a step back three than him getting a step on me and then either driving or just doing a step back from like 28 to 30 feet. It's a little bit of – I'd rather just play the odds. The say, odds well, are in Paul George's if, favor. If he's going to hit a shot from 40 feet, good on him. I'll live with the result at that point. But I'm not going to let him get by me and then get some sort of separation on a 28 to 30-foot shot. It's just – I mean, it's just kind of how just kind of how it goes defensively. Like, you, you just really can't get mad at that. It's like if the guy makes a shot, hey, good on him. Just did my best, and you just live with the result at that point. But – but yeah, just just overall though, with with the Wizards and the Suns, 
if I had to kind of give a better prediction on who's going to have a better season, I'm, I'm picking the Suns, even though that the West, the, the Western Conference is just absolutely stacked this year. I Couldn't do, I do, give, I do give the Suns a pretty, a pretty solid chance to, to find themselves in between that sixth seed at the best spot they can end up in. Obviously the worst position is they end up out of the playoffs, but I think, I think they squeak in at the eight, seven or eight or uh, six spot. That's how I kind of see their season going. X. Uh, I mean, that's everything I have. I wanted to thank you for the collab opportunity for uh, sure. letting me join yours and you join mine. Uh, hopefully we have a lot more collaborations in mind. We do tend to think a lot when it comes to content. So uh, genuinely wanted to say thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. For sure. And, this will be up on YouTube, so hopefully I'll probably get this up by either later tonight or early tomorrow morning. I should have it up on my YouTube page at the Homefield Podcast, and then you're putting the just the audio version of this on Anchor for your one of four six and one podcast, right? Yeah. Okay. So hopefully, perfect. once you once you are able to upload the video portion of it, you'll be able to separate audio, send that over to me, and then guys, this will be posted on. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor, as usual, uh, the second Kyle sent it to me. So it'll be available by tomorrow afternoon at the latest. Perfect. I mean, from my end, appreciate you having appreciate you having uh, the opportunity to sit down and go over some of the drama that's been going on with the Rockets and, and James Harden and then talk a little bit about the Giannis news. So definitely appreciate you coming through and talking some NBA. Other than that, that's all I got, you guys. So take it easy and uh, – See you guys later. Yes, sir. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Acid Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.